morning, church family. Um, so good to have you with us. If you're new with us, we want to welcome you and say thank you for coming. Great to have you join us. Uh, we've been in this series called Messy Faith. It's found in the book of Genesis. So if you turn your Bible open to Genesis, we're in Genesis chapter 15 today. And uh, so if you're just catching up, this is the third in the series of Messy Faith. We've been looking at the life of Abram and Sarai and what God is doing in their lives. And if you didn't know, um, in the Westminster Confession, it says that the chief end, our chief end, is to glorify God and, you know the other half? That's right, enjoy Him forever. And that's really the point as you walk out of here today, that you would understand how to glorify, bring glory to God, right? That's, that's what we do together and individually as believers. And you would find delight in what's happening in the text and what God is doing and who God is. And you would enjoy him. You would you'd find joy in your faith. If you came this morning and you were wrestling with that, you were thinking about all the list of things you've got to do or other things that are on your mind and you somehow missed your chief end, let me encourage you reminds you again that this is what we live for. We live to bring glory to God, and we live to enjoy Him, actually to take delight in what He's doing with us and who we are and how we're living that out as a fellowship. There ought to be a lot of delight here because of all that God has done for us, and certainly in the life of Abram, for all that God had done in his life. God approached Abram. Now, Abram, he didn't have this long track record of all the things that he had done. And God came to him, we're told in Genesis chapter 12, starting the very first verse, and said this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12, verse 1, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. God came to Abram, made this amazing promise to him of blessing his life and making him a blessing to all people, giving him this great legacy and this great thing to live for, not because of anything that he had done, but simply because God chose to love him and to give himself to Abram. And Abram discovers this in response to God's call and promises. He launches out into the unknown, taking a lot of people with him, taking this great leap of belief in the Lord, faith in the Lord. He leaves Ur, and he starts to head out. And you think, yeah, this is the guy. You know, this is the man who's stepping out in faith, and he's, he's growing. He's going to have this great trajectory of faith. And then last week, we discovered how messed up Abram was. Like, the second half of Genesis chapter 12 tells us about how messy things get when he abandons his faith. And he gets to Egypt, and He does things that damages not only his reputation and his relationship with God, but he messes up his marriage and his his relationship with his wife, brings hurt to her, and eventually actually to the ruler of Egypt, to Pharaoh himself. If you don't have that story, I'd encourage you to look back and see what a messed up set of decisions that Abram makes because he abandons his confidence in the Lord. And yet, An amazing thing happens in Genesis chapter 13. Despite how messed up Abram is, God chooses to bless him. He chooses to bless him. 
I was talking to a young lady between services, and she's like, what's the deal with that? Like, God should have put the hammer down on that guy. He was so, he should have judged him. And I said, you're totally right. Everything he deserved was judgment because of how stupid he was. Isn't it good that God blesses when we deserve judgment? That's the story, men and women, of our faith. That although we deserve the judgment of God, God gives us grace. How stunning is that? That's why we enjoy him. That's why we take great delight in our faith. Because even in our disobedience, God blesses us. And God uses that blessing in Genesis chapter 13 to draw Abram back to himself. We see that in Genesis 13, 4, that Abram returns to the Lord. And then in Genesis 13, we see that in this big company he's got that he's led out of Ur, his nephew, things get too big and they decide to divide. And his nephew Lot goes one direction and and he stays, and then God speaks again to Abram to say, Abram, I just want to remind you that everything you can see here, this land is going to be yours. I'm going to bless you. Even despite who you are and what you've done, I'm going to bring blessing to your life. And in response, at the end of Genesis chapter 13, Abram just worships. He just worships the Lord. Now, I don't know how your worship was a few minutes ago. We entered together as a church family. We worship, and hopefully it doesn't grow rote with you. Oh, I know this song, so I'll just kind of mouth the words. Or, Yeah, I don't really like my singing voice, whatever, so I'm just going to like sit here and observe other people worship. That's not what we're intended for. Actually, we're intended to enjoy the Lord and to respond to all that he's done to us by just worshiping. And so that's at the end of Genesis chapter 13. And in Genesis chapter 14, there's a description of conflict. War breaks out in the land that Abram is in. And as a result, Lot gets taken into captive and all the people and the possessions that are with Lot and, and they get taken into captive. Abram discovers the word and by this time, he's got quite a few people around him. And so he goes on this rescue mission. Apparently he's had a conversation with God and he's asking for God's blessing. And he goes out and he grabs Lot and he rescues him and all the possessions and he, and he comes back. And at the end of the second half of Genesis 14, we see two things that are significant steps of faith for Abram that happen as a result of that. He starts to come home, and on his way home, he runs into this guy with a strange name. His name is Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a man who loves the Lord and follows the Lord. And he gives a blessing to Abram. And in response, Abram does something interesting. He gives as an offering back to the Lord, a tenth of all that he's got. It's a pattern that we'll see in the Old Testament, weaving out and through the New Testament, of people giving back to God because of God's great blessing to themselves. God was inspiring a generous faith in Abram that expressed itself in concrete ways. He was expressing a generous faith in Abram, a response back to God. Not that would earn anything back from God, but just a gift back because God has been so good. And it's a pattern that we see described in the Old Testament. And by the way, if you're in that place still trying to discern what's appropriate for me to give back to God, their answer is going to be here in the second lesson that Abram learns. But the answer is everything. 
But in response, there ought to be some pattern of us in our giving. And if you have questions about that, we've got a financial peace class that's going on right now. Bill and Ann, why don't you just raise your hands right now? So they're right now leading a class that's going to meet, that meets first hour to help you kind of discover some of these general principles more in depth. But if you wrestle about that kind of principle, it first appears here in Genesis chapter 14. And then Abraham begins to learn a second lesson. He calls the Lord in Genesis 14, the Lord most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. He's beginning to learn a second faith critical lesson. It's this, that faith brings us to the point where we acknowledge that all we have and are belong to the Lord. All we have and are belong to the Lord. And that's, that's a hard lesson and a huge lesson. And it's a lesson actually that you're going to discover needs to be relearned all the time in your life. There might have been a time where you were younger where you discovered this and you're like, yeah, I understand that, that all that I have and all that I am belongs to the Lord. And you, you generously responded back to the Lord. But then life happens and, and all kinds of things happened to you that you experienced. You accumulated things and then you started thinking things actually were yours and not the Lord or that you were your own boss, the master of your own ship, and you didn't actually belong to the Lord. And you need to relearn that lesson. It's a lesson that God has to keep impressing on us. And that's what's happening in Genesis chapter 14. He is learning, that is, Abram is learning a lesson that even though we so badly want to take credit for our own achievements and our own contributions, none of them are our own. Every good thing comes from the Lord even who we are. So Abram's learning this lesson, wrestling through these things, and then Genesis 15 hits. And Genesis 15 is one of those critical passages in the Bible that changes everything. Because Genesis 15 is the appearance of covenant. God making an agreement with us, first with Abram, and then demonstrating what that looks like. So Genesis chapter 15, it begins this way. Here's the context. There's Genesis 14. There's all kinds of warfare that happened. And still these guys that Abram has rescued now, these other kings are still in conflict with Abram. And God says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Or I am your, literally in the text, great reward. I am your great reward. God speaks once more to Abram. And it's interesting, actually, and important for us to realize how God speaks in the Bible, because he speaks in many different ways. It might come by a personal appearance of God, or an audible voice, or through a vision or dream, or by the ministry of angels, by the working of the Spirit of God on someone's mind, by making alive a passage of Scripture to the heart, or by the ministry of a prophet or a preacher. We today have the Holy Spirit as followers of the Lord, who makes God's word for us, this, the Bible, clear to us, and gives us a clear word. So that's how God reveals himself. So God reveals himself to Abram here in Genesis 15 through a vision. And in this instance, he speaks a word of encouragement. He says, first, I want you to know, Abram, I am a shield. You didn't realize that in Genesis 12, did you? 
I'm a shield. And because you didn't depend on my protection and that I would go before you, you came up with all kinds of crazy, stupid plans for yourself. The second half of Genesis 12, where you heard Pastor Nate did such a great job last week describing that, of his disobedience and what he did to his wife and how he put her in such a horrible position. And yet God would still bring his grace to Abram in that. So he, he's going to have to relearn this lesson. And he has to actually relearn it a number of times as we think through the life of Abram. But here God speaks it out directly. Abram, I'm your protector. I am your shield. I am what you need. And I am your great reward. Abram's not about a series of things you're going to get from me. I'll give you blessing. But the greatest blessing you could ever imagine, Abram, is me. It's a relationship with me. I'm going to give myself to you. And the second part of this text, in fact, the rest of the text, is going to describe how God does that. And that's actually amazingly stunning news for us, that God would do this in Abram's life, that he would give himself. Abram had nothing of value to give to God that God would do this kind of thing for him. But what does it mean to have God as a reward? How can God be a reward? We belong to him, right? I just said that. We belong to God. And Abram was learning that lesson. He doesn't belong to us. God makes this very perplexing statement to Abram. How could the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe himself, be a reward to us? And to Abram here in specific. Abram must have been pretty confused about what God was saying there. Maybe in his own mind he tried to tone down this audacious promise and say, well, God can't mean that. God actually means that he's going to give me a set of things. He's going to reward me for being such a great guy. Maybe that's what God means. Well, God did bring a set of blessings into Abram's life, though he didn't deserve it. But God was saying something deeper here. That God himself is what Abram needed. The most important thing that he needed was the Lord. This is what, listen, what separates our faith from every other faith system in the world. That God, the creator of heaven and earth, would have a relationship with us. Would, would give himself for us. Makes no sense. No human logical sense that God would do this. And understanding that truth is critical for us in our journey of faith, that God takes us on this journey of faith so that we may know him and in knowing him, understand that he is our great reward. Listen, faith isn't about all the things I can get from God. That, that's not what faith is about. Faith is about the Lord being our everything. And that's far more than we could ever hope for. So the Lord says to Abram, don't fear. I know there's other armies out there. I'm going to be your shield. And I, Abram, I am your great reward. And at this point, you would expect Abram to say, oh, Lord, that's so great. I I so appreciate that. And in verse 2, it says, but Abram said, oh, Lord, what will you give me? What? Okay, this is a guy who is normal and human and is going to wrestle throughout the rest of the text that we look at. 
Lord, what will you give me? Because he's thinking about the one thing that he wants the most. It's actually something that God has promised him, and God is making him wait for, and he doesn't want to wait any longer. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram's still wrestling with the self-centered perspective, right? He's still grappling with that. Even after God has given him lessons in Genesis 14 about generosity, and even after he's got all this stuff that God has blessed him with. But there's one thing here I think that we can commend Abram for, is this. At least he was honest. At least he, he didn't hide his frustration with God. You know how sometimes you try to do that? You're really actually frustrated with God, but you don't have the courage to tell him that, like he didn't know already. I think the Lord, I know the Lord, delights in our honesty, our transparency, because he already knows us through and through. He knows what we're wrestling with. So at least Abram is transparent enough to get honest with God, even though there's some selfishness here. Because he's thinking, what good is success? without a successor? What good is all my stuff if I don't have it to pass on to somebody? And God, I, you promised me a kid. I mean, you, that's, that's, that's really hard for me to believe because here I am in my mid-70s and you promised, made this outlandish promise to me and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out, but you haven't, you haven't answered that prayer yet. Is that because you're mad at me because of what I did in Egypt? And you're, you're not going to come through with a promise because I've been an idiot? What's going on, Lord? You know my heart. I still want my own heir because in the ancient Near East, the, the custom was if you didn't have any kids, you would pass it on to somebody in your household who worked for you. That's Eliezer here who would take care of you in your old age and then get all of your possessions. But Abram was still wrestling with the promise that God had made to him in Genesis chapter 12 that God would give him an heir. God would give him his own child. And as he struggles with this, he's frustrated about waiting. Ever been there? Where God, you feel, has not come in the same kind of timing that you wanted. He's not done the things that you've been praying for and asking for. And it seems like he's doing that in other people's lives and your neighbor's lives and other people who don't deserve it. And he's making you wait. What's with that? Why is God making you wait? Wait. Well, you know the Bible actually answers that question. Peter writes in Second Peter three nine, the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He's patient toward you when he's making you wait because you have some things to learn. And not only you, but people around you. They have some fundamental issues of faith to learn. That's why he makes us wait. That continues not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, that every person would be drawn into a relationship with God that's right through faith. That's why you're waiting right now. That's why we wait. Abram, that's why you're waiting. And this promise that God had made to him, it's still 15 years out. God's still going to make him wait 15 more years into his really old age for them to have a kid. Have you ever felt the pain that Abram must have been feeling right now? Like, God, you you promised and you're not coming through. What's the deal with that? 
Listen to the Lord's response to Abram's complaint. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, should not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. So it's in the Middle East. It's desert region. There's not a whole lot of ambient light, like city lights going on, right? Because this is thousands of years. And he just looks up in the sky. And he sees the Milky Way. Like he sees all these stars. He said, I want you to look up, Abram. Take a look. Can you count them all? No. That is your legacy. That's what I'm going to do through you. And it's a moment of faith. He brings him right to this step, right here. What do you think, Abram? Are you going to trust me or not? It's the precipice. You know, are, you going to, are you going to take a step? What do you think? And verse 6 is one of those key verses in the Bible. It says this in verse 6. And he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted, that is, God counted it to him, his faith, his belief, as righteousness. It's one of the clearest expressions in the Bible of this truth that we have and hold dear, that we have salvation by grace through faith. Faith alone. This is actually the, the gospel in the Old Testament right here. It's the first time the word believe is used in the Old Testament. And the first time the word righteousness is used in the Old Testament, here in verse 6. And this moment is so significant in the text that Paul uses it four times. Three of them are found in Romans chapter 4 where he's helping the Roman people, believers in Rome, many of them who were Jews, understand that it's not about what you do. You've got a whole list of things that you're producing, you're trying to do, but Really, it only comes down to the same thing it came down to with Abram. It's not about your stuff. It's not about who you are or what you're doing. It's about faith. It's about your belief. You're trusting the Lord. That's what it is. That's what it comes down to. Not about the things that you do. He says in Romans 4, 1 through 3, What shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh that he's done? What does he have because of all the things he did? Nothing. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He believed, and God imputed. God gave him righteousness. He says that again, the same lesson in Romans 4, 9 through 10. That it was about Abram's faith, not about the things that he had done or how people identified him. And again in Romans 4, 19 to 24, where Abraham brought, came to that point where he was wrestling with them, not having any kids, struggling through all the things that he was struggling with, his own humanity. And he came to that point in verse 6 where he says, I believe, I believe. Now, here's what we're going to see. Abraham makes this great step. 
But then throughout his life, he goes back on his step. He's, he stops believing in God. He trusts. He's, he goes back and forth and back and forth. And I was talking to another person about this, uh, the story of Abram today. And they were saying, did you notice, like, in, it seems like in every chapter, he'll take a step forward and then take two steps back and do all these stupid things. And he's not learning the lesson. Why doesn't he learn the lesson? And I'm like, yeah, right. Why don't we learn the lesson? Right? That's the point. It's, it's us struggling with this journey of faith. So here he is, Paul, speaking out into the same lesson that Abram was speaking into. And then he says this, this word to the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you, that is God himself who gives you even his own Spirit, and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? Did you earn anything that God has done in your life? There's an obvious answer. The answer is... No, or by the curing of faith, just as Abram believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. Paul makes the argument, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The only people who can call themselves children of God really are those people who have placed their faith in the Lord. And that's the story. So how would you actually get that in your mind and in your heart? And that's the second half of Genesis chapter 15. God is going to paint a picture. It's an enduring picture. Actually, in just a few minutes, we get to celebrate communion. This is a symbol of the broken body of the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood shed. It's a symbol of what the New Testament calls a new covenant because of what Jesus did. And it harkens back to what God does here in Genesis chapter 15, starting verse 7. And he said to him, that is, God says to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, that is, Abraham said, Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He's still wrestling with whether God would be true to his promises. Even though in verse 6, He believed, right? Now he's going back and he's wrestling with this again still. Verse 9, he said to him, okay, let's get serious. Let's establish a covenant, an agreement. Now, in that culture, in that day, the way they would do it was visual and it was graphic. They would take some animals before them. I really wanted to, like, put plastic on the stage and, and help you understand how visual this is, but... I was voted down. <clears throat> right. um, they took often a, a cow and then a goat and a ram, and they would cut them in half. And they would take the two halves, right, as they're bleeding. It's messy. It's like messy faith, right? It's super messy. And, and then they would walk through this mess together. They would mock, walk through the blood. It was sealed in life. And they were, they were thinking about how sacred disagreement was in the two of them, whatever they would enter into this kind of legal contract. Hopefully, your lawyer doesn't make you do that kind of thing, right? But this is what the, the custom was. And actually, God had a hand in this custom, this cultural custom, because he was going to paint this image of his broken body, which is a covenant between ourselves and between the Lord. So here in Genesis 15... He tells Abram to get this ready, to get the contract ready to be signed. 
The Lord says to him in verse 9, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these, and he starts doing it because he knows what God is asking. We're going to enter into a covenant, a contract. And he gets everything prepared. Verse 11, when the birds of prey came down, oh, excuse me, verse 10. And he brought all these, cut them in half, and laid them half over against each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Now verse 11. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. It's an interesting verse, but it's saying, okay, God's making him wait again. So he gets everything ready for the contract. And then in the course of the day, nothing happens. God makes him wait. Because he still hasn't learned to wait well. He's, not, he's an anxious person. He, he wants to get things done right away. And God just makes him wait so the vultures start coming like the, for the meat. And he's got to chase him away from this thing because it's, it's a sacred covenant. And he's, he's looking over this thing. And nothing happens. All day long, he's sitting there waiting and waiting for what God is going to do. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now think about how the text started in chapter 15. Abram, fear not. And now he's filled with all this doubt and confusion, and he's wondering about what God is going to do and who God really is and how he relates to him. And even though in verse 6 he's placed his faith in him, he's still wrestling Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Abram, I'm going to make you wait. And actually, I'm going to make your people wait for 400 years until they learn the lessons of faith that they need to. Verse 14, But I will bring judgment upon the nation that they served, And afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And as for you, you shall go out to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, verse 16. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites, that is, the people who are in the land at that day, is not yet complete. Abram, let me give you the next 400 years of history. God describes it. And actually, you can read it when you read through the book of Genesis and the first part of Exodus that God fulfilled the promise just as he said to Abram. Just so you know, Abram, you're waiting, and that's a part of walking with me. It's a part of faith. Verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. It's an odd symbol, and we're going to talk about the symbolism briefly. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Actually, The text says, in the original, he cut a covenant. So it's the visual imagery of what's happening here. He cut this covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadamites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebites and all those ites, all the people that are in the land. Okay, this is what I'm going to do for you, Abram. The Lord makes this covenant with him. Jeremiah 34, 18 through 20 makes a reference to the same type of covenant that's being made, and the symbolism is plain. That is, it's sealed 
by blood. It's serious. We think about it because it's the taking of a life that seals the covenant. And second, to break this covenant, I would have that on my head. God's saying, let's sign a contract and settle this all for once so you know. Of course, there's something far greater going on here underneath the text. It's about covenant. It's about how God enters into covenant with us and we with God. It's about these symbols we're we're about to think about, the Lord's great gift that Jesus would come and live and die, give himself for us so that we might enter into covenant with him. Now notice something really powerful about what happens. God walks through them. And he does it in a way with symbols that are symbols that you can understand as you think through the New Testament or the Old Testament. And this first symbol he does when things grow dark is he walks through, God represents himself by a smoking oven. The smoking oven reminds us of the pillar of cloud by day that symbolized the presence of God in Exodus chapter 13 and the smoke on Mount Sinai when he gave the law in Exodus 19 and the cloud of God's Shekinah glory found in 1 Kings 8. And the burning torch is another symbol you see throughout the Old Testament. It's this pillar of fire, again, representing the glory and the presence of God found in Exodus 13, 21 to 22. And the burning bush display, remember Moses' event in Exodus chapter 3, as well as when fire comes down from heaven in, excuse me, in 1 Kings 18 and Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 21 and 2 Chronicles 7 and 1, when God displays his glory and consumes the sacrifice so that people would know who he is, that he is with them. And God's using this imagery in Genesis 15 for these abiding pictures of his presence and his glory that he's going to walk through this And as he does, notice where Abram is. He's not walking through it with God. He's just observing this happening. And there's really important truth that's going on because of that, because God showed that this was a unilateral covenant. That is a one-sided covenant, that God himself was doing it, and Abram was doing nothing to earn or to deserve, nothing on his behalf that would earn a covenant. It was only God who was doing it. Why is that important? Because the certainty of the covenant God made with Abram is based on who God is and not who Abram is or what Abram would do. Just as this covenant is not based on who you are or what you would do, what Jesus did for you, it's totally based on him. You didn't do anything to deserve this, to deserve God's living and dying for you and rising to the dead and giving you his grace. That's why it's called grace, right? We didn't do anything to deserve it. It's by faith. It's only by faith. Now, notice two things about his faith. First, it was personal. And by this, I mean Abram believed in the Lord. He wasn't putting his faith, his belief, in a bunch of things that he was going to get from God but in the Lord. That's what separates cultural Christianity from true faith. We believe in the Lord. And second, it was a practical faith. This faith, this step of belief would lead Abram first out of Ur, then to trust in the Lord for his 
his heirs and for the land. And in every step you're going to see to come in his life. It was a practical faith. Now, I know that some of you, when you think about a text like this, you're thinking, okay, Ron, now you're going to get to a place where you tell me all the list of things to do, right? Um, because this is the application point. And there's a list, and some of you are love to check out your boxes. You love to make sure you're doing all the things that God wants you to do. Listen, I'm not going to give you those boxes today. Because this chapter is about one thing and one thing only. Believe. It's about believe. Have faith. Put your faith in the Lord God. Accept that gift of faith from him and trust him. That's it. There's going to be all kinds of opportunities for you to live that out this week. The one thing God wants from you is not a set of actions. It's for you to believe in him. Let me pray. Father, I I pray that you would help us be a community of faith. That you would help us spur that on in each other and challenge each other in faith. And that you would move us into a deeper appreciation to be men and women of faith. And for those who came this morning who just have never even taken that step with you, I, I pray you would give them that gift and prompt them to trust you. Lord, even now as we turn our attention to communion. We thank you that this is a gift. We haven't done anything to deserve it, but it's your grace and we say thank you and we believe in you. Help us, Lord, to believe even more deeply. Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.